Good morning, everyone, and welcome to All Things Russell on Laker Country 104.9 WJRS. I'm Jeff Hoover, along with co-host Tony Kerr, and this morning we're both glad to be back with you and in the studio together as uh, we have braved through some, or I guess endured through some uh, COVID protocols and uh, having to be quarantined and out of pocket. And uh, Tony, it's it's good to be back with all things Russell, both of us here in the studio, but um, not without some challenges uh, this morning due to the weather. Hey, Jeff, it is uh, great to be back. Good morning, everyone. Uh, what a crazy week we've had. But uh, I tell you, this has been just a crazy week, but what uh, what beautiful weather we've had. If you like snow, and we don't get the snows that we used to get. I remember, you remember growing up, oh, yeah. you know, every winter you, you got a lot of snow, and we haven't had that. And this is, the I think, the biggest snow we've had, what, in three or four years. Um, but uh, it was just magnificent. Now, I, the, the ice is a different story. I can take that snow, but, man, that ice, that just uh, that's a lot of trouble and so dangerous. Snow can be, too. But uh, we were just talking before uh, we came on the air that uh, what a great job the road crews have, have done. They've been out all week putting in a lot of overtime, working through the night. Uh, you know, it'll be 10 degrees, and those guys will be out there, and they've done a great job. Those roads look good this morning. The side streets still got some slick spots, but uh, main roads are just as clear as they can be. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just hats off and kudos to our road crews, our state uh, workers, our County road crews and uh, city of Jamestown, city of Russell Springs, the road crews uh, that were working. I know I have seen firsthand uh, the workers around the city of Jamestown, uh, all of those guys working hard to clear the, the roads, clear around businesses. And uh, I know it's going on in Russell Springs too. And I noticed last night, uh, Chris Ramsey with the uh, city of Russell Springs posted that the city of Russell Springs crews had been working on the roads, Tony, and then lo and behold, they had some water lines uh, to bust mm. last night. And uh, at 10 o'clock, I think they were working on those. So just a, a shout out to all those guys. And you know what's interesting, Tony, as, uh, as all this weather came into the area, first the ice and freezing rain and then the snow on top. But uh, you look, and, and see people post things on Facebook. And it's interesting, the comments of people talking about how good the roads are in Russell County, but then how critical they are of some of the, our adjoining counties. I've, I've, uh, I've noticed that. Yeah, so, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, and uh, a lot of folks saying that their, their county road departments uh, haven't been here, haven't been there. Um, Russell County road crews and, and the city people, they've been about everywhere. And, uh, you know, they, they can't get every road right then, you know, they, they have a priority system. You know, you go your main roads, 127, 80 parkway. They're going to get it first because those are your main thoroughfares. But uh, I agree with you. And again, uh, just hats off to, uh, the Russell County people, uh, keep up the good work. Yeah. We appreciate uh, you guys and the work that you're doing. And, you know, the weather has also caused, uh, of course, a lot of closings, a lot of businesses closed or delayed schedules, courthouse, judicial center, same thing. Um, but one of the, uh, I guess, most important closings are rescheduling. 
the uh, distribution of the COVID vaccine. Uh, unfortunately, due to the weather, Russell County Health Department having to reschedule uh, appointments that were set, I think, Tony, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and uh, those have been rescheduled to next week, but uh, that's unfortunate. But the good thing is most people aren't getting out and going anywhere anyway. Well, that's right. Uh, the restaurants, all of them closed down because of the weather, so uh, hopefully we're not spreading this virus. But, uh, Jeff, uh, every day you hear about somebody who's gotten the virus or maybe uh, uh, is battling it in the hospital, so it's still out there and it's still uh, something to be reckoned with. Uh, those shots can't get here soon enough. Yeah, and the distribution, I did see uh, early this morning, uh, reading a newspaper, I did see that uh, Pfizer has announced, uh, or I guess it's been concluded and the announcement's been made, that their doses of the vaccine uh, can be given at one time. It's a one-time dose, and they can be stored in ordinary freezers and still be effective. So, you know, that's that's a big deal as far as distribution. You don't have to have those special-type freezers that uh, I guess everyone thought you had to have up until now. So I think that's a, that's a breakthrough, and that, that's a big deal, and, and glad to see that. A lot of people testing positive, um, uh, going through the uh, – COVID protocols right now. And I want to say, uh, Tony, we were just talking about it. Former employee here, Sherry West, uh, posted on Facebook. She had tested positive yesterday and had some pretty uh, significant symptoms uh, yesterday, but doing a lot better. And, and just a lot of folks out there. And we just want to wish them uh, the best. And uh, hopefully they get through this fairly quickly and, and not too bad. Yeah, my prayers go out to my pastor's wife, uh, Debbie Russell, uh, hospitalized w with COVID. And uh, prayers go out to Brother Scott, uh, he, uh, his mom who lives with them, and uh, the, the children, and uh, certainly Debbie now who uh, is in the hospital. This COVID has touched all of us. Yeah, yeah, it sure has. And um, we've got a great show lined up today. Uh, it, it, it's a little different type show, Tony. And I will, uh, I guess, I'm, I'm going to defer a lot to you, although we've talked about it and we've read a lot of materials, but um, we're going to talk today about the Jamestown Court. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Jamestown Court, uh, the Jamestown Court was a little uh, motel mm -hmm. uh, right on North Main Street in Jamestown across from the present-day uh, location of H.E. Pruitt Memory Chapels. And Jamestown Court, Tony, when I was growing up there in Jamestown and a kid running around town, the city park and all that, Jamestown Court was a rather active business. A lot of tourists stayed there. Fishermen uh, came into the area. They would stay at Jamestown Court. I mean, it was nothing uh to, to drive by or, or walk by or go by on weekends and see, you know, several boats in the parking lot. It was a, a thriving little business. And, uh, and the recent uh, demolition of that whole structure prompted uh, a remembrance that you had, which led to our show today. Jeff, you know, the Jamestown Court uh, was one of the first motels uh, in Jamestown. There was only two or three that opened uh, that coincided with the impoundment, or I guess you could call it the opening of the lake, yeah. in 1952. And uh, it was a big deal back then. 
because uh, tourism just taking off, burgeoning industry, and uh, a couple moved down here from Shelbyville in 1951, a man by the name of Ralph Miller and his wife Gertrude, and they had uh, a young daughter, uh, Pam, and they moved here in 1951 and began construction on Jamestown Court. It opened the next year. Yep. And yeah, they, years they moved here, and they were the ones responsible for building it. I mean, they... Uh, it was their business. It, it was their business. They constructed it. We know over the years there's been different owners. But Ralph and Gertrude Miller, and as you said, their daughter Pam, uh, moved to Jamestown from Shelbyville in 1951 uh, based on our research, and they began construction of, at that time, it was called Jamestown Tourist Court. Tourist Court. Yeah. Later, it was shortened to Jamestown Court, but initially, when it was built in 1951, or that's when it started, it was known as Jamestown Tourist Court. And as you said, you have to remember the construction of that hotel was uh, to coincide with the beginning of tourism in Russell County. Uh, the impoundment of Lake Cumberland. It was even prior to Lake Cumberland State Park being constructed. And uh, it was a popular place. And State of the art at that time. It, you know, if you look at it years later, you think, because you're used to bigger uh, hotels and things, but uh, at the time, that, that was state of the art. Yes, and uh, very popular. And I talked to a couple of folks last night who talked about, you know, just how busy it was. And I can remember as a kid, uh, how busy it was right there on Main Street in Jamestown. Um, but a, a few weeks ago, the city of Jamestown purchased that property from the Bank of Jamestown. Uh, the Bank of Jamestown held title and had tried to sell it for several years and had been unsuccessful, and the city of Jamestown purchased it and uh, they then began, the city did, of uh, demolishing uh, the structure and cleaning up the lot. And by the way, it looks really, really nice. Uh, but when that was going on, Tony, Tony you, you mentioned to me a conversation you had with our late friend, dear friend, um, love the man uh, so much, Jack Miller, who was judge, and Jack Miller uh, would have been starting his law practice there in Jamestown, uh, somewhere around all of this that we're going to talk about in the mid-50s. But he shared with you a story uh, about an incident that took place there in 1954. And you recall that story, and that began our discussion and led to this program today. Jeff, in fact, Jack Miller was county attorney at this time. Oh, okay. So Jack yeah, Miller served those two terms as county attorney in the 1950s uh, from 53 until 1961. The elections uh, were in 53 and 57, and uh, Jack Miller, a young man, uh, he served eight years as county attorney in the 50s. Uh, I knew that, but I just had not put the fact that he was county attorney was at this time. county attorney. And the incident that we are going to talk about uh, this morning uh, involves the shooting death of Ralph Miller, one of the owners. It occurred on June the 19th, 1954. And on this June night, it was a Saturday night, uh, somewhere around 1130 at night, uh, it was reported that Ralph Miller 
the owner of the Jamestown Tourist Court uh, had been fatally shot. And uh, there are a lot of people that we're going to talk about on the program. And we will say this, uh, all of our information, not all of our information, but a big majority, overwhelming majority of our information comes from newspaper articles, the Russell County News and the Times Journal back in 1954 and 1955, as well as directly from statements that were given by witnesses to a Russell County grand jury. And Tony, you were able to access those and make copies of those uh, and you and I have read those and they're really fascinating. They tell a, a fascinating story and a lot of questions. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's right. And, uh, and Jeff, we're not going to give any opinions as to, uh, at what happened. We, 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 I, we both differ a little bit in, in what we think happened, but one thing we know happened is Ralph Miller was shot and died there. Uh, Gertrude Miller on that, on that night, uh, called authorities, called the town marshal, uh, Rufus Shear, and he's the first one on the scene, and uh, she takes him back there, and her husband's lying uh, on the floor in the bedroom, and he's bleeding, and he's dying. And uh, Rufus, according to the reports, and this is his testimony before the grand jury, and also quoted in the paper, uh, we'll, we'll take that grand jury one uh, over what gets quoted, though, <laughs> uh, because there were some things that were reported in the paper that, uh, you know, those uh, – uh, statements that were uh, written down before the grand jury uh, they were a little different, a, little different. a whole that's lot right. a whole lot that's different. what makes it so interesting they were they were a little different rufus uh, said he qu asked miss miller what happened and her response according to to the town marshal now let me, let me say this was he the town marshal or the chief of police well <laughs> i think in the 1950s according to the statements that were given to the grand jury according to the newspaper uh, both the Times Journal and Russell County News, he was referred to as the town marshal. Town and marshal. Of course, later, Rufus Shear became police chief in Jamestown. He was police chief uh, when I was growing up. He on, had a great – we could do a show on probably Rufus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up on Popawell Street in Jamestown as a kid, uh, Rufus Shear was police chief. He was – the police in the, the city law. of Jamestown. He was the law <laughs> in the city of Jamestown. But before we get into the details, I, I do want to share, Tony, uh, some of the folks who testified in front of the grand jury. Uh, the first one was J.A. Pappy Oaks. Pappy Oaks was coroner uh, in Russell County. Uh, served, I think, 15 years, according to the newspaper Four article. terms. Yeah, four terms. Uh, he resigned as coroner October the 8th, 1954, at the age of 87 years old. And he had served for 15 years, and he's quoted in the paper as his age was just making it a little difficult for him to continue to do the job. Uh, so he resigned in October of 1954 at 87. And he didn't get along with the fiscal court. That's right. And he, and he mentioned in his re, uh, retirement, following the uh, policies established by the fiscal court were difficult. And, uh, uh, but Pappy Oak served as corner for 15 years. He was corner at this time. And we're going to talk about him. Um, a lot of Russell, 
County folks are related to Pappy Oaks. Uh, he had 10 children, nine daughters and one son. Uh, he had, has a granddaughter who is still living and she is a wonderful lady and someone that you and I, Tony, just think the world of. And that's Miss Jerry Jones is one of his granddaughters. There were a lot of them, a lot of great grandkids. Uh, my wife has, uh, he was her great, great grandfather. So there's a lot of connections to Pappy Oaks, who was corner W, or, or excuse me, L.W. Woodward, uh, testified in front of the grand jury. He was pastor at the Jamestown First United Methodist Church at this time, where the Millers attended church. Owen Holt uh, was jailer in Russell County. In 1954, uh, we've mentioned Rufus Shear, town marshal. Uh, Marlon Richards was deputy sheriff, and he was involved in this investigation as well. So that's just some of the people that appeared in front of the grand jury. There's others. Paul Walkup. Paul Walkup. H.E. Pruitt. H.E. Buck Pruitt uh, was one of the first ones there who responded, uh, said Rufus Shear had called him. And uh, Buck Pruitt, who owned H.E. Pruitt Men uh, Memory Chapel, started that business. Uh, he responded. Uh, he testified in front of the grand jury. He actually was the one responsible for calling family members and initially told them there had been an automobile wreck uh, so that and that they needed to come to Russell County. Now, these folks lived in Shelbyville. Um, but he testified in front of the grand jury and said that uh, Ralph Miller was one of his very best friends. Yep. And uh, so it's an interesting, uh, when you read about these people and their connections today, uh, it, it's a fascinating story. And I'm, Tony, I'm going to let you take off with it, and we'll just fill in. We'll talk more about Ralph and Gertrude uh, Miller. They were childhood sweethearts since grade school. And uh, grew up together. They graduated high school together. They got married. By all accounts, uh, had a very loving relationship, very uh, devout uh, members of the Methodist Church and very active. Uh, and they had the one daughter. She was adopted. Her name was Pam. Uh, they were very well liked, had a lot of friends. For people who had just been here uh, two or three years, they they uh, acclimated well to the Russell County uh, citizenry. And uh, Buck Pruitt said it was his best friend. Yeah. Uh, but they had other friends, Terrell Wilson, who would uh, come into play. Uh, of course, uh, Leonard Wilson, his brother, both attorneys. Terrell Wilson was circuit judge by then. He would be the judge that would preside over these grand juries uh, when they met. But Rufus Shear was called there on Saturday night, uh, the 19th of June, 1954. He gets Dr. Lawrence. Dr. Lawrence gets there. Uh, Rufus, from what I understand, went to get Dr. Lawrence. Lawrence had done been called and was ready uh, and according to Rufus's testimony, there were some tourists there, and he told them to let no one in. Uh, Mrs. Miller was there, and from all accounts, Jeff, and there, there was some newspaper reports and some other things, and a lot of the questions in these affidavits before the grand jury uh, will relate to her state of mind. From everything that I've read, she was in a state of shock when she found her husband. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but and some interpreted that, that she was under the influence of, alcohol or something i think one of the testimony in front of the grand jury that she appeared to be doped up doped or drunk doped or drunk yes that was one of the statements in front of the grand jury uh but i think 
by most of the accounts, she was in a state of shock. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they, they were not known to be drinkers. Uh, the pastor had been in their, their house, uh, traveled with uh, Ralph Miller on trips, and uh, they were in Masonic Lodge together. Dr. Lawrence gets there, uh, goes in, and uh, he diagnosed uh, uh, Ralph Miller as, quote, dying. Right. Nothing he could do for him. And yeah. uh, he laid there and died. Uh, when, when they asked Gertrude what happened, and, and she told Rufus, uh, Shear said, you don't know, do you? And and Rufus responded, no, that's what I'm asking you about. And she said this before uh, to someone or a little bit later, you don't know. And, uh, and then she would later say that Ralph did it, but she wouldn't say if it was an accident or if it was intentional or she didn't know, but she one thing that was clear, she was in a state of shock, but, uh, Pappy Oaks comes, Mar uh, Marlon Richards comes, they get uh, Buck Pruitt, Paul Walkup, they call the pastor down there, a lot of people on the scene. It was uh, described by one person who testified in front of the grand jury that the parking lot was full. Full of, of people. people. That's right. And, and it's interesting that her statement, a reported statement, again, Tony and I's comments are based on newspaper accounts and statements in front of the Russell County Grand Jury, mm -hmm. which were sworn to and, and transcribed. But her statement, interestingly, in response to Rufus Shear's question, what happened, she said, you know what happened. You don't know. You don't know what happened. And that was perceived by some as, uh, I know, but I'm not telling. Right, and that led to further questions about what actually did happen. And um, as you said, Rufus Shear left. There were some guests there, and he told them to watch Miss Miller and not let anyone in Jamestown Court or in the room where this had occurred. And he went and got Doctor Lawrence and brought him to the scene. And then they, uh, after he dies, they call Pappy Oaks, coroner. A deputy sheriff comes on the scene. Uh, Buck Pruitt uh, gets there. He calls uh, the uh, the minister down, Brother Woodward. And then uh, others are called. Paul Walkup is called uh, to the scene. Uh, a person that worked there, Morris Williams, who had worked uh, for Ralph and Gertrude Miller, was called back to give uh, some testimony. He was called back that night. Yeah. Uh, and while all this is going on, Rufus Miller charged Gertrude Miller with the murder of her husband. And she was transported to the Russell County Jail. Uh, Owen Holt was the jailer of Russell County at that time. And he testified in front of the grand jury about his observations of Miller from the time she was brought into jail, charged with murder until she was released on bond the next morning, which we'll talk about. It's another interesting scenario of how that happened. But uh, as you said, Pappy Oaks, J.A. Pappy Oaks was the coroner. He was called to the scene. And Tony, what, uh, as I read in front of the grand jury, a couple of interesting things, uh, he test obviously there's a discussion about uh, the bullet uh, that was found uh, and he had some opinions on that well they have to find the weapon too yeah and that's what I was getting to the weapon uh, the gun is I think a 22 automatic rifle rifle mm -hmm. um, was found in the closet it was not laying beside him or on the floor 
The closet uh, was next to the bed. We're not talking about a closet somewhere else. It was in the bedroom about four feet away. About four feet away, the closet, and the door to the closet was open three to four inches, according to the testimony uh, by all of those that, that were there. So this closet, three to four feet away, four feet away, and the door to that closet was open three to four inches, but inside that closet was the twenty-two automatic rifle that was believed to be the weapon. So that obviously begs the question, how did the weapon get there? Right. And a lot of uh, speculation about that. But in reviewing Pappy Oak's statement, uh, I think it's important. Uh, he was asked in front of the grand jury as coroner, um, did you state this bullet could have been fired by someone standing on their feet while he, Mr. Miller, was lying in bed? Because uh, there was evidence that at the initial discharge of the weapon that he was laying on the bed. Well, that the bed had been laid on. That the and there's a little blood on it, but most of true. the blood was in the floor. That's true. Yeah, let me rephrase could, that. Could that, you not great. have fallen back on the bed or after a person was shot, Jeff, and, and it was just on that side? But the only one that testified about that blood, uh, the exact location, uh, was Buck Pruitt. He said it was closer to near the bottom of the bed, and the others, uh, and Buck gave some distance is 17 inches here and there yeah. uh if he's very precise it, yeah he was very uh you know uh, down straight to the point but uh you know there was it, they said about as big around a quarter there was a drop of blood on the bed but uh, where uh, ralph miller had fallen there was a pool of blood as he lay That's dying right. and uh, of course was bleeding out and 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 pappy oaks in his testimony said that uh ralph miller his shoes were off but he had clothes on no pajamas, but he had his clothes on. And obviously that testimony was contradicted, I think, by about everyone else who said he had pajamas on. Right, um, and was shirtless. And was shirtless. Um, he wanted Pappy Oaks as coroner, and this is really interesting. So as coroner, Pappy Oaks said in front of the grand jury, I wanted to see her talking about Mrs. Miller. I wanted to talk with her. And they both said, in talking about uh, Deputy Sheriff Marlon Richards and Dr. Lawrence, he said, I asked where she was. I wanted to see her. I wanted to talk with her uh, because he was called there to determine if there actually was a death and he needed to, to get information. And he was told by Dr. Lawrence and Deputy Sheriff Marlon Richards, according to his testimony, that there wasn't any need for me to talk to her, that she was either doped or drunk. And so he was not allowed to talk to her. Now, the interesting part is, according to some of the other testimony, including L.W. Woodward, who was the pastor at Jamestown Methodist Church, there was a coroner's jury formed that night. Uh, to help the coroner determine the cause of death. And, and I just uh, thought that was very interesting because now uh, a coroner can have what's called a coroner's inquest where if the cause of death is not determinable or the coroner doesn't feel confident in determining that, the coroner can request a jury 
and we've seen it a couple times, be impaneled, uh, the evidence is presented, and they can make a recommendation or a determination as to cause of death. But usually it's sometime after the actual death. Here, the coroner's jury apparently, according based on the testimony, the coroner's jury was formed that night, the night of the shooting. And Pastor Woodward was one of those chosen to help investigate uh, what happened because he was one of them that found the gun. Yep, they were just... Uh and from what you we read about uh, Pappy Oaks, uh, who, who retired, resigned in October of that year, he was 87 years old. Yeah. You know, probably said, hey, guys, uh, I don't know if you deputize them or whatever, but uh, you guys, I need some help here. And they were all searching for this weapon uh, and, uh, and found the gun, as you said, uh, Jeff, in the closet. Now, she goes to jail. They move the body and... This is where it gets interesting and, and again, throws a lot more, uh, you know, questions on on what happened. Uh, In the pool of blood uh, that uh, Ralph Miller left on the floor, there were two shells from a twenty-two. One had not been fired, but it said it had been fired upon it has at the end of it you know it looked like it was a misfire and you can get those some remember this is a 22 automatic rifle uh and i forgot who it was they weren't familiar with it didn't know how to unload the thing uh but the other was a spent cartridge a 22 it was empty and those were lying in the pool of blood before they took ralph miller to uh he pruitt funeral home they took him to doc lawrence's office uh where he was x-rayed cleaned him up. They wanted to see, you know, and he was shot up through the chin and it went up through and, uh, it was a hollow point 22 bullet. It said it fragmented, broke apart in several pieces and they could actually see where it fragmented, uh, in his brain. Mm-hmm. So, but when, when they found him and, and they moved him, they find a 22 that's not been fired, but it looks like it, it's attempted to have been fired. Uh, you know, if you ever seen the back of a bullet, Jeff, that's misfired, it'll have a little dent in it, but for some reason, it didn't ignite that gunpowder. But the other one was an empty casing. It had been fired, and they think that's the one that uh, killed Ralph. But it was up under his chin, directly mm-hmm. under his chin, and went up through into the brain and fragmented, and that's what killed him. He didn't die immediately. Uh, when Dr. Lawrence got there, he was still alive but died shortly thereafter. Then they take him down to the funeral home, and uh, Buck Pruitt starts calling family. Uh, these people, uh, Ralph and Gertrude, were from very prominent families. They were very well-liked uh, families uh, from uh, Shelbyville. In fact, uh, her brother was uh, the circuit judge, the sitting circuit judge in uh, uh, Shelbyville, Judge Coleman Wright. Her maiden name was Wright, Gertrude Wright Miller. And uh, her brother, as I said, was the circuit judge. He would later come down when they were getting ready to have uh, an evidentiary hearing we would call today or a prelim uh, before the county court. Uh, he would appear with her and her attorney. She hired, they hired uh, uh, Leonard Wilson as uh, her attorney. But uh, her family comes down. I think it's interesting that uh, two of the people who testify uh, before Uh, The grand jury is Ralph Miller's father and Gertrude Miller's father. And they both stated emphatically 
that uh, she that they about their relationship, but they they never believed that she could have had anything to do uh, with his death. Yeah, and you're listening to All Things Russell on Laker Country 104.9 WJRS. Jeff Hoover along with Tony Kerr, and we're talking about an incident at the Jamestown Tourist Court, which later became Jamestown Court, that occurred June 19th, 1954. And Tony, just following up a little bit, another interesting fact that that we totally overlooked thus far was... uh, the statement of Miss Miller later on uh, as to what events had taken place prior to Ralph Miller being shot. They had been sitting on the porch at Jamestown Court with some of the tourists or guests there, and uh, the last guest of the evening had checked in, and Mr. Miller had apparently uh, asked her, to go turn the lights off. And if you remember, and for some of us who grew up in Jamestown, the Jamestown court had sort of a neon light. Uh, and apparently it had to be turned on and off out at the location of the sign uh, out by the road. Uh, but I can remember very vividly that sign uh, there by the road. I want to think it was green and something. But anyway, um Miss Miller uh, had gone to turn the lights off because the last guest for the night had checked in, and then she'd come back in to lock the door. And, and was making out uh, things for Morris Williams to do. Who was their employee. She was doing a few things in the office. It wasn't like she just turned them off and went in there. Right. And, uh, and yeah. she went to the bathroom to get ready for bed, and then that's when – she discovered Mr. Miller, according to her testimony. So it, it um, uh, was interesting that everything leading up to uh, Mr. Miller, Ralph Miller being shot, was a very peaceful, routine, sort of laid-back kind of Saturday night in the summer of 1954. And um, I, I want to bring up also... Um, As you mentioned, uh, W.T. Miller was the father of Ralph Miller. Uh, He lived in Shelbyville, and her uh, her father, Gertrude's father, was Mr. Wright, and they came down to Jamestown together that night. Got there the next morning. Got there about, I think, somewhere in there about daybreak on Sunday morning and went to the jail to visit her. And here's a couple of other interesting facts. There was some type of bond hearing on that Sunday morning, which would have been, I think, unusual. Uh, But again, these were uh, prominent people, business people, very unusual circumstances. There was a bond hearing that Sunday morning. And uh, Gertrude Miller's father uh, was here from Shelbyville. Her brother, who was a circuit judge in Shelby County, could have been here that Sunday morning. We don't really know. But her father-in-law, Ralph Miller's father, was also there. And the bond was set at $5,000 cash. A lot of money back in 54. That was a huge amount of money. And they posted it. And they got her out of jail 
sometime that Sunday, and according to the newspaper stories, took her with them, uh, and we would presume the daughter, uh, to Shelbyville, and returned to Shelbyville, and there was an examining trial then set uh, that following Wednesday, which would today be called a preliminary hearing uh, if a person is charged with a felony. And at that examining trial, we do know that Gertrude Miller's brother, who was a circuit judge, was here um, uh, with her. And as Tony mentioned, she had retained uh, Leonard Wilson, who was an attorney practicing in Jamestown at that time. And they appeared for the examining trial and waived it to the grand jury. No hearing. She remained free on bond that she had posted the $5,000 bond and waived it to the grand jury. And that's where all of these testimonies and statements that we're talking about, that's where they came into play. Right. Because there were approximately how many people appeared before the grand jury. Well, we've we've got the list there, Jeff. and you, uh, you 10 or 12 at, or something. Yeah, uh, Virginia Covington. Yeah, uh, Virginia <laughs> Covington had worked. Uh, for the Millers at Jamestown Court and uh, uh, lived, I presume, uh, fairly close, uh, but said she had not been at work for about a week, uh, so I hadn't had any discussion with them for a week or so. But she testified in front of the grand jury. Also, Jeff, and there were reports, and this uh, was, I think, reported in the, in the paper, it was addressed before the grand jury uh, that there had been uh, some disturbance at uh, at the court that evening, maybe alluding that uh, Ralph and Gertrude were not getting along, and it was said that uh, Morris Williams, who worked for them, uh, was there. It was also said that he was there when, when Ralph was shot. He was about 15 feet away, uh, but later on in his uh, sworn testimony, he was not there and said that uh, never heard them uh, have any problems. Uh, also, one, one of the big things, and you'll see in those those affidavits, Jeff, is we uh, they, they found some alcohol on the premises, and yeah. a big, uh, uh, you know, that was made. Uh, uh, it's a big quite, issue in this case. It, it, yeah, very it's a big. big they issue. Found two bottles of whiskey. I noticed one person said that they found an empty bottle and a full bottle. But another one said there was two bottles and one had about a third gone. There might have been some gin and some beer, but uh, it all goes to the uh, testimony. Rufus Shear said she was drunk. Or, or doped up, and somebody else said they smelled alcohol on her. But her pastor and the jailer said, we did not smell any alcohol on this woman. And, again, as, as we, we look at it, she was obviously in a state of shock. Yeah, and the newspaper described her condition appeared to be dazed mm -hmm. and very incoherent when she was taken into custody, obviously consistent with someone who who, who is in, uh, in a state of shock. And... So we get back to the gun, the gun in the closet, um, four feet away from where Ralph Miller lay on the floor. How did the gun get there? Right. How? Yeah. And and why was there another shell there that had been a, apparently a, a misfire? And and to get that discharge, you would pull that back in that gun and let it chamber another bullet. Yeah. And, and, and so when we talk about the gun, what I started to get to a while ago and I got sidetracked on something else. So that night, as they were sitting on the porch, 
with some tourists or guests. And before Ralph Miller had asked his wife to turn off the light uh, by the road and to lock the door, she had asked him sometime that evening if he had unloaded the gun. And the reason she'd asked him, he had killed some rabbits. He had been a rabbit hunter. Out of the neighbor's garden. Right. Hey, that's a good neighbor. I wish somebody come <laughs> kill some of mine. He had, kill, he had been rabbit hunting. He had killed some rabbits. And she had asked if he had unloaded the gun. She was afraid their daughter, Pam, would get near it. That, and that's what she testified to. And he said, uh, it's loaded, but it doesn't matter the safety's on. That's right. And... Um, and then ultimately, the gun that was believed to have been used to shoot him um, was found in a closet. There was some speculation by uh, a couple of folks who testified in front of the grand jury that when she brought up the subject, is you've been rabbit hunting, is that gun unloaded? Uh, and he said, well, it doesn't matter, the safety's on. And she was concerned about the safety of their daughter. There was some speculation or discussion that maybe he had gotten the gun to uh, uh, unload it uh, because they had been talking about it and it accidentally discharged. I mean, that was some speculation that that's what uh, had happened as well. So uh, just a lot of interesting scenarios, but let's get into... Uh, the grand jury testimony and a lot of things were said uh, a lot of things happened we have newspaper accounts of that uh, Terrell Wilson was circuit judge uh, his brother Leonard Wilson was representing the defendant uh, the case was waived to the grand jury for consideration and um, Tony I guess uh, one of the uh, we have all the statements of the grand jury on the witnesses who appeared, but October the twenty eighth, nineteen fifty four. Again, this occurred on June the nineteenth, and so four months later, uh, the Times Journal reports uh, that the grand jury did not indict Mrs. Gertrude Miller uh, on the charge of murder, um, and it just wasn't simply that they didn't indict her, didn't formally charge her. It was some other things that happened around that. Oh, well, the charges were dismissed, uh, and it was written on those affidavits, case dismissed. And, and the reason that was somewhat uh, unusual is because custom was that uh, if one grand jury did not take up such a serious charge, uh, then another grand jury could later. And, same way now. Yeah, same way now. And the Times Journal uh, report went in some detail, uh, and it says it must necessarily be pointed out that such a procedure is absolutely within the law, talking about a second grand jury taking up the case. The Times Journal said it must necessarily be pointed out here that such a procedure is absolutely within the law according to information. However, in the past, it has been the custom and practice in important cases such as this one to refer them immediately to another grand jury. Whether or not it is so referred is a matter addressing itself to the court's discretion. 
And if the court is of the opinion that another grand jury could not discover any new evidence, then the court may discharge the person accused from any further harassment or investigation. And that's what Terrell Wilson did. He dismissed. It was written on there, uh, dismissed. Yep. And he entered an order uh, dismissing it. Um, and, and this testimony that came, you know, Tony, there was a mention, uh, I think by pastor Woodward of Jamestown Methodist church at that time. I think he mentioned, and I do have it here. Um, he mentioned, uh, it has been reported that the FBI said that the shot had not been snapped on. Uh, that was the only mention in anything of the grand jury about the FBI. I don't know why the FBI would have been involved unless it was an expert with the FBI to talk about the discharge of the firearm or something like that. But I thought it was interesting that Pastor Woodward, in his testimony at the grand jury, mentioned uh, the FBI. Um, and then, as you said, Buck Pruitt was so precise uh, in, in his testimony uh, about his observations and and taking the body to Dr. Lawrence and having the x-rays. There was um, no autopsy. Not One was not ordered. They asked Buck if he'd uh, performed an autopsy, so nobody ordered one. I didn't uh, I didn't know that uh, they that undertakers would do those then, uh, but he said nobody asked me to do one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he wasn't asked to do one. There wasn't one done. Um, but so the case was dismissed uh, when the grand jury uh, – wrote dismissed on it after hearing all this testimony. And the circuit judge signed an order. The circuit judge signed an order. And you want to read that order? I've got it right here, Jeff. It says uh, Commonwealth of Kentucky versus Gertrude Miller order. It appearing uh, to the satisfaction of the court that the defendant Gertrude Miller was held for the action of the grand jury as a warrant issued by the judge of the Russell Quarterly Court on a charge of murder, and it further appearing that the grand jury at the October 1954 term of the Russell Circuit Court investigated said charge and failed to return an indictment. Therefore, it is further, it therefore it further appearing that the grand jury wrote upon the warrant uh, the word dismissed, and the foreman therefore signed the same it is therefore ordered that the charge against the defendant gertrude miller be dismissed and that the bail uh, bond heretofore executed by said defendant is hereby discharged and the bondsmen are exonerated from any liability uh, thereupon given under my hand this the 22nd day of october 1954 terrell a wilson judge russell circuit court and so october 1954 the grand jury failed to indict and an order was entered by the court uh, that the matter was dismissed. Uh, the, the murder charge that had been placed against uh, Ralph Miller's wife, Gertrude Miller. Uh, but apparently, from our research and newspaper articles, the case continued to be talked about uh, quite a bit in the community. Uh, because, as I hope you can see from the 
uh, from the comments that Tony and I have made based on grand jury testimony, newspaper articles, and other things, there were a lot of unanswered questions. You know, how did the gun get in the closet? Um, all of those things, uh, a, a lot of questions remain unanswered. Uh, and then in February of 1955, I've highlighted that, um, Andrew Norfleet uh, wrote an editorial in the Times Journal, uh, which would have been uh, just four months after the grand jury failed to indict. And, and again, Tony, uh, I think it's clear that this was something that the community was still concerned about. A well-known, well-liked uh, business person had died. Uh, his wife was charged, and then the grand jury didn't indict her, but there had been no finding as to how he died, and there had been uh, there remained a lot of unanswered questions. A lot of speculation, a lot of uh, people talking about it. Uh, was it suicide? Was it accidental? Was it murder or what else? You know, what, what else could have happened uh, to him? Jeff, uh, Jack Miller told me, and there, there are no uh, written accounts of this, but there was actually some testimony with the grand jury from veterans from World War II. Jack Miller was a veteran of uh, the Second World War. Uh, Leonard Wilson was also uh, a veteran of the war, but they had uh, veterans that uh, swore that they had seen men mortally wounded in combat who could walk 10 yards before they fell. And I think they were trying to address that issue. If he killed himself, if it was a suicide, how did the gun get into the closet? Yeah. A, a, a lot of interesting, so you can imagine during this period of time when the grand jury take, uh, decides not to charge and you have these unanswered questions, and then as as I think he was prone to do and, and right to do, the editor of the Times Journal, Andrew J. Norfleet, wrote an editorial in February of 1955, just four months after the grand jury had decided not to take action. And here's part of what he said in that editorial. He said, Russell County is noted for its many unsolved killings. That's the first sentence in his editorial. And then he says, we are wondering just what this grand jury will do. We wonder what will be done in the Ralph Miller case, a mysterious killing that took place in Jamestown last summer. Is that case doomed to die in oblivion, or will it be hammered upon consistently until something is brought to light, as in another case he refers to a few years ago? Thus far, there has only been one suspect is regard to who killed Ralph Miller. But there is a possibility that more could be learned if the case is dragged into the open and pounced upon mightily over and over again. So Andrew Norfleet here four months later was saying, don't drop this case. There's other things out there possibly. And then he closes his editorial, Tony, is, and you and I shared this last night. He said, the file on Ralph Miller should, I'm having a hard time reading this, the file on Ralph Miller 
should not be allowed to gather dust this long after his death. The file on Ralph Miller should not be allowed to gather dust this long after his death. Um, interesting. Yeah, very. And then, Jeff, you have in 1955 on... Uh, Thursday, let me see, the, and I'm looking at the uh, Times Journal, and this is another uh, report. In the Thursday, February 17th, 1955, you have uh, the grand jury meeting again. And uh, Judge uh, Wilson, and he may have been aware, uh, I'm sure he read the newspaper, <laughs> uh, but uh, said Judge Wilson started off this grand jury. Now, this is the new grand jury in February after the October a uh, grand jury didn't do anything. Judge Wilson started off his instructions to the grand jury with a list of unsolved homicide cases in Russell County, dwelling at some length on the celebrated Ralph Miller uh, case. Miller, a businessman, motel operator, uh, was killed under mysterious circumstances last summer in a room of his motel in Jamestown. His wife, Mrs. Gertrude Miller, was arrested but later released, and the grand jury at the last term of the circuit court failed to return an indictment against her. Judge Wilson said he had been informed that a mysterious guest, this is quoted in the paper, the circuit judge saying this to this grand jury, that uh, Judge Wilson said he had been informed that a mysterious guest had checked out of the motel within minutes after the shooting and that there were some evidence of a bullet having been fired through a screen window from outside. Judge, uh, the judge then told members of the present grand jury to read and study the entire report of the last jury and continue with a thorough investigation of the Miller case toward the objective of returning an indictment if possible. Hmm. And so when was that? February of 55. February 55. That is after Andrew Norfleet's editorial uh, scathing. Don't let dust gather on this file. Keep investigating. And then uh, Terrell Wilson comes back as circuit judge almost immediately within a week or two. and As as the new grand jury's meeting. Yeah, instructs the new grand jury. Uh, to continue investigating and, and then tells him that he <laughs> that he heard this mysterious uh, person uh, had been there but there was never any charges uh, to the best of my knowledge that's the first time that was ever heard uh, and no witnesses from all of these affidavits people that had worked there Morris uh, Williams had worked there nobody had ever said any of that uh, but that was what uh, the judge had told the grand jury. And, Jeff, today a, a judge is, is precluded from saying anything. A judge would be really, really out of bounds, would be highly reprimanded if not taken out uh, off the bench for saying something like that uh, about an, concern, uh, an ongoing investigation or an open case, uh, you know, to say, you know, somebody checked out, might have heard it might have been a bullet fired through a window. Could you imagine that? Yeah, I, just a different time, you know, totally different time. Um, and, uh, it's interesting that even with that instruction in February of 55, several months after the death and after the first grand jury had chosen to return any charges that, uh, a statement is made and 
we would have to assume that that grand jury in February of 55 uh, continued their investigation uh, and there was never anyone charged. But, you know, even to this day, uh, it's not really the question uh, has never really been answered. What happened to Ralph Miller? All we know is he, he was he was shot. He lost his life. He's a young man. Ralph was born in 1917. Gertrude was about six or seven months older. She was born in 1916. Uh, he was taken back to Shelbyville. He's buried in Grove Hill uh, Cemetery. I found this interesting, uh, Jeff. The newspapers back then, they gave you you know so much detail. Uh, uh, here's the list of people who attended the funeral in Shelbyville from Russell County. Uh, his pastor, of course, Brother Woodward. But uh, also attending for Russell County, Mr. and Mr. Uh, uh, Boehner Harris, Boehner and Ruth, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Phil Butler, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Leonard Wilson, uh, Mrs. Will Diddle, Miss uh, Julia Helm, Mr. and Mrs. H.E. Pruitt, uh, Mr. Allen Davis, and Mr. Paul Walkup. Hmm. From here, went to many the of those uh, fellow church members. That's right. Uh, with the uh, Millers at Jamestown Methodist Church. Yep. But uh, you know who shot Ralph Miller? That's that's the question. What happened to Gertrude? She moved back to uh, Shelbyville. She raised her daughter, uh, and uh, she remarried. Gertrude died in uh, June of 1998. She was 82 years old. Hmm. She had her daughter, who survived her, and three grandchildren. And she is buried in uh, uh, Grove Hill Cemetery next to Ralph Miller, her grade school sweetheart and her husband. It's a fascinating story, and uh, again, uh, that story came to us uh, just through a discussion as the Jamestown court was being demolished uh, by the city of Jamestown. It led to a conversation, which led to another conversation, which led to Tony primarily doing a lot of research, and I thank him for that. Uh, but it has been fascinating. As I said, I followed up uh, with some phone calls uh, last night, and I want to thank Catherine Ham, um, Catherine Pruitt Ham, uh, who now uh, resides in Florida for some information. Uh, my father-in-law, Roger Blankenship, provided some information, particularly about uh, Pappy Oaks, who was the <laughs> corner at that time, would have been his great-grandfather. But um, an interesting uh, story, sad story, Jeff. Yeah, very, very tragic. Story. You know, uh, here's a father, a husband, a, a son, uh, a brother. He had a brother, yeah. and uh, you know, to die uh, so young, yep. and uh, and still remains unsolved. And nobody's ever, uh, nobody's ever been held accountable, even if they should be. If it was accidental, of course, it was accidental. If it was suicide, and of course, that's sad too. Yeah, just questions remain. A lot, lot of questions. One of the, one of the questions, Jeff, real quick. I, uh, what about the gun? Yeah. You don't hear that gun uh, later on. Testimony. Marlon Richards took it, took it to the office, took it to the judge's office. The judge then would have been Marshall Dixon. What about prints on that gun? If she had handled that gun, uh, and she testified in her uh, affidavit before the grand jury, she didn't handle she that didn't gun. Know. Didn't like that gun. Yeah. Uh, Marlon Richards was a deputy who took it to the judge's office, according to his testimony. And from there, we don't know. Interesting. Ever take fingerprints? Uh, you know, a lot of things back then. Uh, and, and you can see Jeff law enforcement has come a long way since. Then. Yeah. Folks, that's going to do it for all things Russell today. We hope you have enjoyed the program 
And Tony and I are just glad to be back in the studio at the same time. And we'll be back here next Friday morning at 8 o'clock for another edition of All Things Russell. For Tony Kerr, I'm Jeff Hoover. This is WJRS, Jamestown, Russell Springs, Kentucky.